We acknowledge the First Nations peoples of this land, the traditional custodians, and pay our respects to their elders past, present, and future. We recognise the ongoing impacts of colonisation and the importance of a voice to Parliament to ensure the sovereignty and self-determination of First Nation peoples is respected and upheld. We commit to working together towards a just and equitable future for all Australians. Hi, I'm Keely, and it's Tuesday, the 9th of May, 2023, and Jim Chalmers has just brought down the May budget of 2023. And I'm Wentz. And you're listening to The New Blurt. I can't take it anymore. Good afternoon, good evening, good day, and good morning, Blurtsters, wherever you are around the world. You are listening to The New Blurt. Absolutely. Uh, tonight, I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri country of the Kulin Nation or the Woiwurrung people. Sovereignty was never ceded, always has been and always will be Aboriginal land. Uh, tonight, we are going to talk to Maria Teflaga. We had a recorded interview with uh, Maria uh, just last week, so that'll be great um, to have a listen to that one. And um, it's all about the budget, the referendum and uh, economy and politics and other things. And then it sort of just digresses into a nice conversation <laughs> about life. But no, it's uh, it's well worth listening to. And uh, Wentzie and I will um, will be madly penning some information so we can talk to you on the other side of that uh, about economy babble and what's happened in tonight's budget. And uh, as Wentzie says, who the winners are, who the losers are, and how expensive lettuce is, because that seems to be the um, question on everyone's lips. Good evening, Wentzie. How are you, buddy? How are you going? I want to respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which I live and work, the Yagra and Turbles people. Sovereignty was never ceded. To answer your question, I am freaking cold. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you know, but... Apparently, we had some minus 10 degrees temperatures overnight somewhere in southeast Queensland. So I, I, I saw something that said something about, um, I don't know, people are wrapping up in Queensland. And I was like, what, is it a new fad or why? Why are they doing that? What's, what, what, what would be the benefit of that? So you actually are getting cold weather up there. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's single digits overnight now. So um, it's like I'm back in Melbourne all over again. Mate, I have never heard of that. Don't tell me climate change is not real. That's yeah, uh, I know, exactly that's, right. That's, that's phenomenal. Well, it's 12 degrees down here, but I'm very comfortable in the house. The house keeps itself quite warm. <laughs> why, why are we laughing, Why we, Yeah, why are we laughing? <laughs> okay, um, just got a comment from Vicky, our avid listener on the uh, the new blurt here on YouTube when we go live, and she says, um, ugh. So freaking cold, that wasn't the deal. They're absolutely right. You are right there. Well, yeah, look, you, you uh, make your choices, you take your chances. I'm sorry, but that, yeah. that's the way it goes. Um, you know, I, right. I knew what I was getting, so that was okay. You know, that, 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 that wasn't a problem. But uh, actually, talking about that, there was a couple of things. It was uh, – no, I didn't actually. Uh, Bob McGuire, Father Bob McGuire, mm. as, we, as you know, he passed away, I believe, last week. Is that correct? Yeah, uh, a couple of weeks ago. We talked about it two shows ago. And then, yes, yeah, he had his uh, state funeral, I believe, last Friday. Yeah, he did have his state funeral. I, I listened to uh, quite – it was interesting. I was listening to and watching the funeral until they started going all sort of gaudy and then I sort of got mm. out. But um, 
as you'd expect, it was in a church and it was Father Bob Maguire. So <laughs> eventually I had to talk about BOG. Yes, uh, I know. I know it was an inevitability, but I hung around as long as I could. Um, but uh, but he was just such a great man. And it was just so, I mean, it did. It brought a tear to my eye. I mean, it doesn't take much for me to cry anyway. But, um, but uh, just, I don't know. I've just heard, I heard him, you know, Ever since I was a kid, like twenty, I think uh, twenty odd or twenty four, five, something like that. I'm, I, I used to hear about Father Bob with, um, I think it was John Saffron. It might not have been John Saffron back then, but I mean, I definitely remember hearing about twenty five, thirty years ago when he was helping out in um, South Melbourne and all the work that he was doing. Mm. He was on the radio. I mean, there wasn't any obviously podcasting, but the radio was there, and he was yeah. on the radio often. Like, yes. um, yeah. He really loved so the media, that's for sure, whether it was radio or, or TV. He just always wanted to get across his message of being able to help those who couldn't um, afford to do things or, or whatever circumstances they had um, that was against them in life. And yeah, he was always there battling for them, providing meals, accommodation. Yeah. So much. So much peace in that man's life, um, mm. yeah, just just extraordinary. And you're you're 100 right. He must have he must have helped thousands of people. Yeah, yeah. Um, and when he know. got kicked out of the church because he was too old to be a priest, um, yeah, was it his... was it an old thing though? Was that the reason? Yeah, he was supposed to retire from the priesthood at 75, I think it was, and he pushed him and fought, and he got to 77 then he had to retire at 77 so yeah he got an extra two years all oh, right okay yeah. well anyway that would have been two years well worth um mm. well worth having without a shadow of a doubt yeah didn't stop him so. from doing what he always did like i said he, he created the father bob mcguire foundation and it's still been run today um i've got a few quotes here that were uh, yeah go for it mentioned during his service um yeah so his niece uh, mentioned that family life was hard for the Maguires. It was a life dominated by Bob's alcoholic father with, with all the consequent deprivations above and over those um, of the era. Um, he obviously uh, learned from that and that's what took him to priesthood um, at the age of 15, I think it was. Um, another quote from John Saffron, who he worked closely on TV and, and uh, radio. Uh, John said, yeah. Bob was like a reverse Native American. He thought his soul would be taken away if a camera wasn't pointed at him. He <laughs> joked during the eulogy. But it, was, but it wasn't because he was vain. It was because he felt such joy and he knew he provided others with such joy. Grappling with the important questions of life in an irreverent way, John said. Uh, what else? Someone else said, oh, Dan Andrews, uh, the Victorian Premier, said his kindness yeah. wasn't always quiet or polite, and nor should it have been. If he thought the church had overstepped, he told them. If he thought the media had got it wrong, he told them. If he, on the rare occasion, thought that government had made a bad decision, he was certainly not afraid to let me, let them have a piece of his mind. And another gentleman by the name of Frank O'Connor, and I'll tell you a little about about Frank. Um, in a I second. thought you were going to say Frank Ocozzo. No, not Frank Ocozzo. Uh, I think we spoke about Frank Ocozzo a few weeks ago. Um, no, we have this guy, North Frank, Melbourne, Frank and I thought the guy. 
Correct. Frank O'Connor, who's from the Father Bob Maguire Foundation, told the service uh, that the Larrikin priest only wanted to make the world a better place. We know he's done so much and he's inspired so many others to follow that path. The world is a better place because of his work. Now, Frank O'Connor was my uh, de IT department's uh, head of department uh, back in the day when I used to work for Australian Unity in South Melbourne. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah, wow. and he's an ex-mayor of South Melbourne um, before he got into IT. And I think he went yeah. back back to being a mayor or on the council after he got out of IT. Oh, wow. So he would have um, known Bob pretty well, I would have thought. Yeah, so he worked very closely with Bob as mayor and councillor. And obviously, he's now in the um, foundation. So, oh, yeah, Frank nice was a really, really nice guy as well. So, yeah, yeah, yeah it was very yeah. nice words he said. Oh, that's Beautiful work there, um, Wensi. We will be back in a minute. Do you know a donation could save up to three lives? Be the lifeblood of Australia. Join us and search Give Blood to book your donation with Australian Red Cross Lifeblood today. Give life, give blood. Um, yeah, no, definitely do do that. Uh, do mm. give uh, blood because, uh, as I've said before, I've been uh, doing it, uh, I think, for oh, God knows how many years now. Um, I'm up to 49, 50 times or whatever. So it's a few years. Mm. And, um, you know, I know people are scared of needles and all these things, and I always was as well. But um, mm -hmm. it was, it was, I felt more to be able to give blood than the fear of not doing it, if you understand what mm. I'm saying. Yeah, um, yeah. I wish I could give blood. They won't take Are you me. not allowed to? Or? Why will not? Yeah, they won't Why? take What's my... Because uh, apparently because I lived in Chile for longer than six months or a year or something, and there was some sort of parasite that... Um, I can't remember the parasite, and it could be in the bloodstream, even though have I haven't you... lived there in... Have you tried lately? No. No, so okay. I should check again. It was a yes. while ago. That is your homework. Go and see okay. if you can give blood. Okay. Right. Excellent. Hopefully by the next show, I can donate some blood somewhere. That would be fantastic if that could happen. I would do it tomorrow, but I mm. can't because... Yeah, so I, I used to give plasma instead. So um, at the time when I was donating, yeah, it ended up being plasma. It was my regular yeah. donation. So, yeah, I should re uh, check again and see if... If they'll take my blood, if not, I'll just give plasma. Absolutely. And they, they really, really need the plasma too. So, mm. yeah. So anyone listening uh, to the show, please do do that. Uh, they need blood all the time. It's not just sometimes. They will have big recruitment drives, but they do need it all the time. And if you're O mm. negative, especially, which I am, um, you're very lucky because you get to use my blood. Even if I don't like you, you still get to use my blood. <laughs> um, so... I'm always a giver, never a taker. But there you yeah. go. Um, so if you are a negative, please do give because I can only have your blood. So that would be lovely for me. Thank mm. you very much. Um, but, yeah, no, that is absolutely incredible. The other person, Wentzi, that was um, good, excellent. Um, What's excellent? Uh, uh, Vicky has said uh, she's going to see if they'll take her blood too. That's brilliant. And tell all your friends, Vicky, because they need the blood they can possibly get. Yes. Um, in America, they have this. I, I've talked about this before, I think, a little bit. Mm. In America, they have this yeah, terrible, have. terrible system whereby they give blood 
they they um they get paid for giving blood because that's the only way they'll give blood. Hmm. And then the um the dodgy uh, mafia type people wait outside the blood transfusion places, and as soon as they get paid, they pay the dodgy mafia people. They get their mm. drugs, and then the circle continues. Wow. Isn't it just fantastic? That's crazy. Maybe they should go um, implement the system we have and just give them some bickies and orange juice at the end of it instead of cash. Well, it used to be, mate, it used to be awesome. When I started years ago, when Indy was six months, she's now 20 this year, so that gives you an idea. Um, uh it was a moment you'd get a milkshake, you'd get like 400 pies, um, wow. you know, chips. You don't, David, just you had a meal, them out of hand. but no, not, 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 yeah, you could basically, you could basically, but um, I think they stopped funding, they, they stopped funding, yeah. it wasn't just because of me, um, <laughs> they uh, they stopped they stopped funding yeah no it's uh, oh that text is back again they it's need the to third time this week really do <laughs> yeah exactly right but uh, uh, I'm not sure if you're across this uh, Wednesday um the Vietnam government is furious at the Australian of um commemorative war coins did you see this. Um, they're really not happy about the release of an Australian commemorative war coin. Oh, right. Okay. They've requested a halt to the coin circulation. Uh, the idea is that the uh, Royal Australian Mint said the design reflects the colours of the ribbons of the service medals awarded to Australian who served in Vietnam. But the Communist government has demanded Australia cease issuing the commemorative coins. Um, it says, show the flag of the toppled US-backed South Vietnam, a claim Canberra has denied. So, um, yeah, so there's a little bit of animosity there of uh, the commem- commemorative coin coming out. Yeah, well, yes, I do, actually. Give me a second. I do have a tiny bit of show and tell. Yes, here we go. Hold on. Here we go. See how this goes. Just waiting, okay, waiting, waiting. Okay. Glad you can, because I can't. can't really. Yeah, no, I can see that very clearly. Oh, there it is. Yeah. Having a, having a few so they're not uh, internet gremlins yeah. here at the moment. Oh, is it is it really bad, is it? Oh, it's just uh, the lag between uh, talking... Seems to be better now. I wonder what's happening. Carry on. Let's carry on. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I'm not sure. I don't know what's happening. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. Now we'll just move on. We'll just move on. I'm not sure what's going on. Now we'll uh, just move on. Um, Yeah, so uh, as I was saying, that's the Australian commemorative war coin. So I think they look uh, pretty cool. But uh, yeah, Vietnam's not too happy about it. So... I just I wondered with your trip of Vietnam you might have been across it. That was all. No, 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 no idea about that one. First time I've heard it. And we're still here. Can you hear me? Yeah, it's yes, I can. But there seems to be a bit of yeah. Anyway, we'll just try to forge yeah. through it. People yep. on the pod, sorry. 
I'll edit all this out so you yeah, won't hear this anyway. But yes, we um, might have to feed the uh, hamsters a bit better next week. Them... <laughs> yes, yes. I'm not. I'm not. I'm really not. Really not. 100 percent sure what's going. On. But um, okay. If you didn't hear about that one, what about the racist that targeted a young Swedish asylum seeker, and now he's broken a fundraising record? Oh no, I haven't heard that one. Okay, so this little fella here is a bit of a gun. Mm-hmm. Um, what's happened is that uh, he's an 11 year old asylum seeker. He broke a charity uh, record um, after he faced a heap of racism in Sweden. Oh, right. And he's now swept up to more than 350,000 in donations. Um, wow. Because I don't know if you know, but the uh, Sweden has a right wing government. No, I did not know. Yeah, it's it it's fun. You don't think of Sweden. You don't sort of think right wing government. It's not the no, first thing you no. think of because none of those Nordic countries. No, that's right. I think that. that's exactly no, exactly right. So, but um, uh, uh, excuse me, I apologise. Um. The 11-year-old asylum seeker uh, smashed the charity fundraising record and won hearts across Sweden after he described facing racism uh, described facing racism while out collecting money and the charity said on Tuesday. Murhaf Hamid has totaled $351,565 selling paper flower pins in a traditional yearly campaign for the Maj Blomen, which is Mayflower, Children's mm-hmm. charity after his story went viral on social wow. media. Um, children usually raise around thirteen hundred krona, which is about one hundred ninety bucks. Mm. Wow! So he sort of he smashed that record. <laughs> <laughs> he Good secured a. I know, absolutely. He secured a staggering two point four million krona. Wow! So, so far, which is pretty phenomenal. So um, just have a look. So he earns a 10% commission on the pins um, and they're allowed to keep any tips they receive. Um, Charity's boss said they've never seen anything like this before. Even the prime minister has praised his heroic efforts. So um, Awesome. Good work. It is pretty cool. It's very, very good. That's why I wanted to uh, share it. Um, He was born in Sweden to Ethiopian parents. Um, On his first day out of raising funds, adults told him to get off the street and he only sold uh, a few pins in five hours. But then after that, he just went absolutely nuts. And wow. here's probably a nicer a nicer photo. So I'll put this one up because that's a nicer photo. Um, oh, yeah. And they're some the of those main, pins. Yeah, they're the Mayflower yeah. pins he's, yeah. um, he's selling. So yeah. good on you, Murhaf. And I think uh, you definitely deserve, without a shadow of a doubt, uh, Big one of these, I think. Probably big than that, but anyway. Um, Fantastic work, fantastic work. Um, So, people, we will see you on the other side. We are just about to leave you with us and Maria Teflaga. And um, enjoy. Yeah, enjoy the chat. We did. As the sting says, what on politics? Let's get ready to rumble!
Good evening, Blurtsters. Uh, tonight we have a recorded interview with Maria Teflaga, political scientist from Australian National University. She's been with us before and we're uh, delighted to have her back. She's going to uh, chat to us about uh, the budget and different sort of political machinations that are happening in our nation. So, good evening, Maria. Hello, everyone. Hi, thanks for having me back. Hi, Maria. How are you doing? Yeah. So uh, thanks very much for joining us, uh, Maria. As I said, uh, we just want to have a bit of a chat and sort of get your uh, head around, um, because our head's not uh, good enough to be around, um, some of these uh, questions that, uh, that lots of people are asking. And there's one that I've sort of heard come up quite a few times. And it's uh, when you're talking about booby trapping a budget, what does that actually mean? Yeah, yeah, okay. So that's that's a that's a that's a technical term. No, it's not. Um, um, it's a metaphor. Um, so essentially, b- the idea of being trapping the budget, uh, I guess, at its most basic level, involves um, making promises or saying that your government is going to deliver stuff before an election that you actually don't know how you're going to fund after the election. That would be the most basic concept. So ways that that could occur is, for example, you could um, you could promise to fund something for like a year but not after that and it's a continuing program. You could... Um, you could sort of, um, that, that's the most common kind of way. Or, or another way is simply to claim that you have funded something but you actually um, don't have a long-term sustainable path for funding for that. So a lot of argy-bargy was around the NDIS, around whether or not yes. Labor had truly funded that commitment and that claim. Um, and then a lot of um, claims were made around the coalition um, uh, effectively making wild promises. I think in the 2019 and 2022 elections, this, this claim was thrown around that they, they made sort of quite exorbitant spending uh, promises, um, essentially with the calculus that if they got elected, well, it was a good problem to have, but they thought they were going to lose. And so it would now be the new government's problem to kind of solve, particularly when they're sort of desirable, desirable goods that people, people would like. So usually it's, it's essentially making a promise that you're not going to fund or you don't know how to fund, or you haven't actually funded, or the, the money isn't actually there, or it's structurally um, dependent on, like, uh, the sort of, uh, uh, like, the sort of minerals resource cycle, which is sort of saved Australia's bacon um, in terms of its sort of budget surpluses now for, for many, for many, like, I mean, you know, like good 20 years, we've, we've yeah, sort absolutely. of depended on these sort of super profit surpluses to, to get us out of yeah. trouble or to, to really yeah. boost our coffers. So, so I suppose that also in, includes um, sort of a pipeline of funds that just miraculously ends when the other government sort of um, takes takes hold, say, within five to six months or something. Yeah, yeah, or, or you know... Um, or like promises, you know, things that are supposed to start in two years and no one really knows how that's going to be paid for. Like, I guess that's yeah. the other, the other way that you can kind of, um, uh, do that. Yeah. And losing it, governments it, tend to do this. Yeah. Um, and either way, it never looks good for either side, does it? <laughs> no, no, no. It certainly erodes, it erodes trust, right? You know, mm. um, because I think voters, um, well, I think politicians 
train voters to take these promises very seriously in part because of the way they structure the promise, um, but also the way they attack each other for breaking the promise mm. and because of the way they actually talk about policy problems and issues. So they, they, they are sort of, it's sort of like they're mining out the ground from underneath themselves and they have less and less capacity to manoeuvre. And the only way to build more ground, um, you know, is like, to, I guess, you know, I'm thinking about, those Chinese islands in the sea or reclaimed land or whatever yeah, is, yeah, is literally yeah, yeah. to go out there and pour concrete. And, and in, in a political sense, that would be explaining to the electorate um, why we need to reform the tax system or why we need to actually increase taxes or redistribute or think about how we tax income versus wealth, for example, mm. which is complex and yeah. has uh, losers, has losers. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, and I, and I guess speaking of interest rates, um, is the RBA seems to only ever raise the interest rates as their main purpose or reason to to control inflation. Um, yeah, do you think do you think that's a wise thing to do, or are there any other things um, that they could be doing? Do you think? I know you're not an expert in. Yeah, so so yeah, no, so I'm I'm not an economist, and um, but this is what I do know about it. And I'm sure some of your listeners will enjoy pointing out where I'm wrong. So enjoy, enjoy that, guys. So um, I, I'm looking forward to it. Um, um, you know where to find me. But so, so from what I understand, um, blurtstar at gmail.com. Um. Exactly. Exactly. So from, from, from what I understand, um, like in the past, uh, before before the the independence of the Reserve Bank was established in the late 80s, early 90s, um, governments were effectively in charge of setting interest rates. And so governments had um, sort of all the kind of big monetary fiscal levers that they could levers, pull, right? Yeah. And there weren't really that many of them, right? Like you can spend more money, you can increase interest rates. Intr- increasing interest rates obviously constrains how much money people have to spend on discretionary goods. That's why they... They're, you know, raising interest rates. Australia is a little bit. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, it's basically it's sort of. I mean, if you've got a mortgage on a variable rate, every time the interest rate goes up, you know, and and so you know your mortgage goes up by twenty bucks a week or a month, for example's sake. Well, that's twenty bucks you can't spend on buying pizzas or um, shoes um, or whatever, you know, which are shoe pizzas. Shoe pizzas, exactly. I mean, yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, Domino's has a new shoe pizza out and I've been dying to try it. Uh, but the RBA keeps they raising my interest do. rates and I just don't have the dollary dues to spend on shoe pizza. Yeah. Um, you know, Chip Charles will be really happy. Um, yes, very true. Very true. So, so, yeah, so, and so, and, and you can kind of, I'm sure you can imagine why leaving politicians in charge of the decision to raise interest rates might lead to some problems, right? Mm. Like we just, we started by talking about booby trapping and, um, yes. and, and, and the sort of desperation that is involved in that practice, you know, um, confident governments that think they're going to win the next term don't, don't tend to booby trap their own budgets because they, no. they know they have to clean up that mess, right? It's, it's, it's the act of a more, more desperate group of people. Uh, it's like promising, um, Sometimes we make promises to our children that we that we regret, like, yeah, you can have a chocolate uh, just before bed. So you'll yeah, just go and have this bath. <laughs> exactly, yes. exactly. That's um, a great idea. Yeah, yeah. And so what used to happen is, is we used to have this sort of stop-go 
economic cycle, right? Whereas the government would basically um, stimulate the economy, especially because that was like the Keynesian era. And so governments were more involved in uh, stimulating the economy uh, to sort of smooth out um, demand and supply kind of curves and to keep uh, unemployment at 2%, which was basically official government policy. It was supposed to be a full, gov- full employment policy. So they basically pour petrol and then everything would get really hot and like, oh, no, oh, dear. And then they'd get the fire extinguisher out and like really crank up the interest rates. And, and it would kind of go like this. And you, you can kind of see it in the um, any kind of um, economic uh, like trajectory kind of. Um. And so eventually a, a debate or a discourse kind of arose that perhaps politicians shouldn't be in charge of this set of decisions because the the incentives are too alluring for politicians yes. to make yes, short term decisions yes. Yes. right yes. so and and so yeah so the reason why interest rates um kind of works because they take away money from from people and in Australia in particular cuz most people or a lot of people are on these variable rates rather mm. than what kind of happens in the United States or in other jurisdictions where you you basically buy a mortgage for 30 years at a fixed rate and that's the rate so if you are, right? un- yeah, yes, that's that's actually my most common. So if you were unlucky enough to buy a, a house in like 1977, you would be sort of stuck with a pretty high interest rate for 30 years because inflation was really high in the 70s. Okay. And no, it's hard true. to take inflation out of, a, out of a system. I mean, I think some yeah. of the sort of hyperventilating around where we're going to have another sort of 70s-style inflationary crisis was yeah. quite overblown in a way because many of the sort of structures that allowed that to kind of happen yeah, don't exist anymore. Exist now. Yeah. No, you know, we don't have like um, like we have laws against um, like secondary boycotts in effect, like, you know, like the metal workers strike so the bus drivers can get a yeah. pay rise. Uh, we don't have like uniform um, pay uh that like flows through and washes through the entire IR system. You know, that's kind of yeah. what enterprise bargaining was supposed to do. Mm. I mean, we, we only don't see have a these industry of any description. Yeah, so. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So you know, so it's and how they're kind of uh, set uh, is quite different. We only see those flow throughs really happen with the minimum wage and. Yeah. Um, and you know, and these people at the bottom of—they're not buying shoe pizza. They're they're paying no. their bills. They're buying. They're just they're buying regular food. Yeah. Um, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, they're not they're not they're not. Um, that's they're not the problem. Surviving. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And and but we find, and I'm sure some of this is not quite accurate. But essentially, it, it seems like the COVID has had a really distortionary effect because I think uh, a lot of people who have potentially low debt and high amounts of assets were able to accumulate and save a lot of money. And so they're still spending, you know, whereas like people who took on large mortgages tend to be in the category of people who also have like other high fixed costs like childcare because at that stage of their life. So these, these interest rates really like if you're, if you're in that segment of the population really really hurt because they're really you know meaningfully taking away a lot of um discretionary spending so yeah um, yeah yeah it's just really annoying how the consumers get penalized whereas the big corporations continue making their billions yeah profits and nothing flows down to us (laughs) so where's the political will to make any difference or change (laughs) yeah so so i mean i think one mechanism to tackle that would be to have like a corporate super profit tax. So, I mean, if you think, I think, I think a standard profit is like two to three percent. That's like quite modest. Like, I think that's what Woolworths would make, right? You mm. know, on food. Whereas, yeah, like, surely, you know, 
<clears throat> Surely wash your mouth out, uh, Marie. <laughs> <laughs> Whereas I think the banks, I think they consistently make over like 10, 10%, right? And I don't know where, I'm not an economist, so I don't know where a super profit would, would hit in, but I imagine like if a standard profit is 3%, 10% is like, that's, that's a, that's practically an order of magnitude greater, right? So like that's a lot. Actually not an order of magnitude greater, but it's, it's a lot. It's three times as much or, or more. Yeah. Um, well, yeah, um, that's true. That would, that would work out Math- mathematically. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, um, you know, and that, that might be some way to kind of capture that that windfall um whether or not that would impact inflation i don't know my my economics such as it is is not strong enough to make that kind of um link but the bank basically like if you recall during the um the morrison era like they're basically like very politely trying to tell the federal government to change its wage suppression policy settings right which seem mm-hmm. to have multiple um, factors, uh, in part that was to do to, in part that was to do with the fact that during the mining boom, our wages went up really high, like really quickly without like the requisite productivity gain to go with that right. because yeah. everyone was buying our, we basically did nothing of like, of like in productivity terms to earn that pay rise. It was because our commodities were worth a lot. And so we all got a wage increase. If you happen to be earning money, then it wasn't stupidly doing a PhD, which is a which has no <laughs> attendant pay rise. Um, and doing that. Um, so, um, I wasn't affected by it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. So, um, so if you were if you were not a fool like some people in this chat and, and got a pay rise, um, it's quite likely there wasn't a, a, a productivity gain to go with that. And so, um, in essence, what has sort of been happening is that's one of the reasons why wages were wasn't growing, right? But it was also like the 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 the, the Abbott, Morrison, Turnbull governments like had had deliberate policy settings to see that those two measures actually kind of um, equalize. And some of the things that have happened in immigration, whether or not by design or just simply by the accretion of changing like this rule and then that rule and this rule and this rule, has sort of created a sort of this class of temporary migrants which does suppress wages growth. Wages, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, um, but Philip Lowe was essentially saying like, you guys need to actually look at this. Like, wages are too low. That that it's, it's it's actually a problem for the economy. We're getting, I think, deinflationary effects, right? You know, yeah, as before yeah. COVID. And and he was very politely, uh, uh, basically saying this every time he had a press conference. And the government was very politely not listening to him. So um, <laughs> yes, so so that kind of conversation went nowhere. And I do wonder whether or not these changes to the like board structure that's that's going to happen actually changes that nexus like i think it will create more avenues for debate but ah be careful what you wish for like they want Mm. the governor to chat on the economy and they want some of this expert macroeconomic economists to chat about the economy i think this will be good for consumers and for the public and for journalists and we'll probably all have like like the 1980s like a a seminar in economics and like uh, every it lift all boats and we'll all learn a little bit more about economics i don't know if the government is actually going to like this but that's not my problem so (laughs) yeah no no but that's right though i mean it's like when john howard explained what a balanced budget was and decided that everyone um should feel that australia should have one you know before that we were running deficits and you know stimulus uh when when it's needed what you need to do for the economy what it needs to happen so you are correct uh, from that perspective but Did you know a single blood donation could save up to three lives? Be the lifeblood of Australia. 
Join us and search Give Blood to book your donation with Australian Red Cross Lifeblood today. Give life. Give blood. No, um, what else? Yeah, so the other thing we had was um, sort of going on a tangent away from the budget a little bit in relation to voice to parliament. So one of the things I've not understood is um, the opposition wants to rem remove the word executive from, from the uh, the wording that is being proposed for the referendum. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Because I still haven't found a, a, a good explanation of of that and how that might impact future decisions or legislation that might come around. Yeah, okay, okay. That's a good question. So the most – so the executive is – I think most people actually agree what the executive is and, and it could even point to it, right? Um, but technically it can have a quite a broad meaning. So the executive is typically the cabinet – right, the bit of government, mm -hmm. prime minister, cabinet, treasurer, bit of government that is actually making the decisions. And then they basically tell the bureaucracy what to do. So they say the executive, the prime minister wants a $10 billion water fund and it's the bureaucracy's job to work out how to make that happen or to sort of say, well, prime minister, um, that's actually not legal or, or mm. whatever, right? Yeah. Um, you know, or, you know, you can't actually do this school funding model that you'd like to do because all school funding has to go through Section 96 of the Constitution. That is correct. It does have to. And so what you want to do is actually against the Constitution. So um, perhaps your colleagues, the executive, can come up with a new a new definition. So, mm. so you can kind of see how because the executive tells the bureaucracy what to do, some people sort of view the executive as a very expansive concept that involves the cabinet and the prime minister, but also the bureaucracy and potentially other statutory um, authorities that make decisions like the RBA. But I think most people would accept that the, that the, the executive is really the, the prime minister and the cabinet and that it has this capacity to tell other branches of government that are effectively not necessarily directly linked to, like, parliament um, what to do. And so I do think that the coalition's question around the executive and that example that was given about the RBA is a bit cheeky. And I don't think, I don't think, of, I don't think, I don't think from a jurisprudence prudence perspective, the court would likely interpret it that way. I guess more to the point is that the government's sort of response to that was to actually harden up the wording of the, the question to essentially say the parliament is in charge of exactly what the voice will do, uh, how it will function and how it will be brought about to be like to be brought about into power. So, so I mean, what that actually means is it is actually entirely possible that um, a government of bad faith could say, we're going to have this office called The Voice and I'm going to put a telephone and I'm going to put a receptionist in there and that's The Voice. You know, right. that's oh, entirely possible. Yes, because it, if they can get it through Parliament, right, if Parliament yeah, approves right. that, that's the voice, right, you know, because essentially what this condition is saying is that it's it's a political process and a political decision that Parliament is entirely in charge of what the voice will look like, which is sort of why I don't think we need to be worrying about the voice demanding the RBA do, do stuff. Oh, yeah. Right? It's yeah. Amazing. So, yeah, yeah. you know, it's in no one's interest for the voice to take on that level of, I suppose, expansive power that 
could therefore bring its credibility and legitimacy into question, mm. you know. So I do think it was an extreme example, you know, um, perhaps for rhetorical purposes or perhaps for blatantly political purposes. I don't know. I don't live in the mind of I think Julian Lisa put the question forward. And it, and it and I think I think it I think it did provide a useful corrective, which was that I guess the government has now made it far more explicit mm. that the voice as you know, in, in whatever way it will be constituted, will be a political decision, which was always the intent. And that is also fundamentally why the government has not actually wanted to be drawn into this debate about the detail, because it's ultimately about a principle, um, you know, which is do you think that the constitution should basically demand or, or like, you know, require that the parliament must provide some provision for a voice, which is a political solution. Like if you look at the, like, I mean, the prime minister's office is not mentioned in the constitution, but we have one. Right. The mm. Prime Minister isn't mentioned in the Constitution and neither are political parties, but we have them, right? These yeah. are, you know, these are, these are, we don't stipulate exactly what the High Court should do. Like we just have to have one, right? So these mm. are all kinds of examples of why you mm. want to have these in principle principles, mm. yes, principles in your Constitution, mm. right? Like you've got to have these things, but you don't necessarily want to codify them too much because that allows them to, to evolve over time, you know? So if the voice is successful, Theoretically, that should mean that over time its functions should change mm. because if it's actually successful in being able to, um, you know, improve the lives of Indigenous peoples, they might not need the voice to function in the way that it needs to function right now. Yeah, because in 10 years' time mm. it might need some tweaking in a positive, yeah. negative way or pull back some powers Precisely. or give extra powers. Yeah. It seems absolutely ridiculous to me that you would want to completely detail how the voice is going to work in 2023. As you quite rightly say, you don't know what's going to happen within the next five years, what's going to change, what in the economy, not just the economy so much, but like socialisation of getting uh, sort of Indigenous voices more and more into government and parliament, et cetera. So how does that affect and and how can we uh, improve sort of the lives of those people going forward? But what I did want to ask about, um, the opposition, I think, are at around about 20%, I think, in the polls at the moment, pretty, pretty low. So... Do you think, uh, Maria, that maybe it's a de- just a really just a delaying tactic so that people realise we actually still have an opposition? Is that <laughs> the voice? You mean their tactics on the voice? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, um, that's I, I don't know. I mean, from a yeah, this is a this is a good question. So, like, if you think about the actual actors involved, it's it's it 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 does look more rational from that perspective right rather than from the median voter who is odds on weakly supportive of the voice right like that's sort of what the polls are saying you know but if you actually kind of look at who is actually sitting in the coalition party room now and the concentration of where they're coming like you know Uh, coming from like not just not just geographically but actually like like in terms of if you think about the narrow selection pool of people that are like interested in politics, the narrower yeah. selection pool of people who join a party, and then the narrower group again who say, "I'm going to run for office," you can, you know, and 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 that's the sort of the, that's the kind of that that's a very small narrow constituency. Mm, I can sort of in that in those circles, this position 
makes more sense and appears more rational because i mean from i mean i don't i don't know if like dutton is um being pragmatic in his position on the voice or if he deeply feels his position on the voice or if he's if it's if it's conveniently that his ideological position and his pragmatic view align right but from a practical perspective we just think about it from from a pragmatic perspective from his perspective you know um he's in the fortunate position that he doesn't really have a meaningful alternative challenger but also this position seems to suit of the vast majority of his party room he you know challenged malcolm turnbull who is i guess the avatar of the teal voter group Mm. and the moderates because he was too left basically so it's it's entirely conceivable that it also aligns with his with dutton's ideological views and i mean there are a few things to suggest that that is the case i mean the way that the they keep asking for you know the detail like most of the detail was produced by their own government like you know they were in office for oh, 9 yeah. years their government led this process working with the basically the indigenous expert panel you know Marcy Langton Noel Pearson you know who who developed the voice and its structure you know and if you actually look at the proposal the counter proposal from the coalition it's almost the same proposal so um it's entirely possible that Dutton was simply never interested in this subject and whenever it was raised in cabinet his eyes might have just glazed over and he's just simply not across the detail um and so it's sort of ignorance or or it's simply that they know that asking for the detail is a really effective and disingenuous in this case given the history of the policies development tactic to sow doubt in 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 voters um minds do you think that there is any chance that maybe the r word comes into um oh a recession no, not that R word. Okay. Oh, the Republic. No, the other R word. We're talking about racism. Yes, that R. Yeah. Word, that's uh, yeah. The one. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 I mean, I think, I think it's, I mean, I think the reason why Aboriginal people are asking for this voice is because racism is clearly affecting their material life chances, and I don't think it's an extreme leap of logic to suggest that that might be impacting some of the politics underpinning that um, yeah. exactly in what ways and, and, and what rationales. Like um, I confess I have not followed this debate closely enough to really like and carefully like tease, tease out these things. But, I mean, I, I did find some of the Nationals' arguments or these arguments around like a real voice, a Canberra voice. Like I just – some of that is just classic elite don't trust elites, mm. don't trust Canberra, right, yeah. you know. But these claims around representation I think are kind of really interesting and complex and I think I think, I think you have to very carefully kind of disentangle them. Like, And it does make me kind of uncomfortable the way some white politicians are very happily using the descent of Aboriginal Australians as a reason to oppose these because i don't actually think that the reasons why some aboriginal people or indigenous people or non just non-white people might be against the voice are the same reasons that are potentially being put forward by some of the white no advocates and i find that alighting of those arguments like i think that's that's really on like (laughs) at the, the most basic level like deeply unhelpful and 
and, and and at times I imagine just might slide into you know something that we might all agree um, to be kind of racist. So, I, I, yeah, I mean, I don't think we're very good in this country at at talking about race, and and that's in part to do with the way our migration program has operated. You know, like we had this white Australia policy, and then we got rid of the white Australia policy. But in essence, we've still spent a long time bringing in um, essentially white people. Then we had like a whole conversation around that, like that was a big deal, and mm. and so we tend to talk about ethnicity a lot in in this country rather than like um you know so you're chinese australian you're romanian australian you're italian australian i mean do you remember when john howard didn't like that i don't like it when people yes. say they're italian australian mm. can't yes. they just be australian you know yes. which is i think i think that's a really like that's a, such an interesting um like sort of says like how far we've kind of come but then you know people people are not comfortable about talking about black Australia or mm. Asian Australians, you know, um, like the discourse here is, and, 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 and so therefore like debates around black lives matter or incarceration, right. Which has, yeah. which, which, which is centered on the fact that racial difference structures people's lives and produces terrible outcomes for some people at the expense of others. Yeah, we're not, we're, we seem to only be starting to be able to develop the language to have this debate, which I think is much more progressed in places like the UK, um, which I think is a bit more of an analogous comparison for us than, say, the United States, which has, you know, its history of slavery and it's, I mean, you know, the yeah, African-Americans right. make up around, I think it's 10 or 12% of the population, which, um, and they have a very special claim on the state, you know, and that's a very different debate to the, you know, debate around Indigenous affairs in the United States, which very much is sort of in the shadow of that debate, whereas, mm. and, you know, in the UK, like, they had all of that post-Commonwealth immigration in the 50s and 60s from the yeah. Caribbean so you know their conversation around immigration and race is structured around race whereas ours has been structured around ethnicity which is more benign food dancing you know um, mm. and, and less about power structures right so yeah, yeah. interesting as usual, absolute pleasure having you on the show, Maria. We always digress um, out of the structure of what we're going to talk about, but it's a fantastic and fascinating conversation. So there's no love lost there whatsoever. It's just, My pleasure. Uh, it's your fault for not interrupting more. <laughs> <laughs> I we, just we love hearing your insight. Yeah, just love hearing your insights. <laughs> That's it. I, I know it's different when you're on with um, Mark. I get that because uh, lots of interruptions, and so therefore you're not able to finish your thought. I get that. It's I probably understand. a blessing. Like let's face it. Yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe. But no, look, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much, and uh, we we'll look forward My to uh, seeing you again soon. Fantastic. Thank Excellent. you. All right. See you Thanks. And we're back. Oh, I am. And, um, oh, and, and we're I'm back. back. Oh, look at that. <laughs> look at uh, that. Uh, tell you what, the, um, the magic of uh, the internet, absolutely awesome. Look, uh, we'll just oh, go yeah. on with when the Con Babble. Uh, we can have <laughs> a – yeah, absolutely. We'll have, we'll have a quick chat about that in a minute. I'm just going to play this, and we will be back very, very soon with the Con Babble. Hey, this 
of Hannah Melbourne Way from the Australia Institute. I'm listening to the new blurt with Wensi and the Kexta, and you should be too. It's on Tuesday nights, live from around 8 p.m. Maynard Kane wrote the, the book on modern stupid. macro, no, the man you need when the economy's uh, the economy is depression, recession. Now your question's in session. Have a seat and I'll see you in one simple lesson. It's the economy, stupid. It is. It is indeed. And, um, Wensi, my friend, what uh, did you learn about the budget? What's 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 happening? Uh, are we winning? Well, are we losing? Um, are we are we breaking even? What's happening? I'm I'm seeing a lot more winners in this budget than losers, at least on the page. I was going to say on paper, but That's it's not good. really. It's good the you. screen. <laughs> um, one of the <laughs> Well, uh, let's start off with the losers because let's start off with bad news and finish off with, with good news. Um, international students. That's a good idea. Um, uh, uh, losers because their hours of being able to work has been reduced. Um, during the pandemic, it had increased um, to allow them to, to work longer and earn more because of the... Um, they were stuck here. I guess some students were stuck in Australia. Um, so they're forced to now only have a maximum of 48 hours per fortnight of, of work, paid paid work. Um, another loser, uh, uh, who else? Smokers. Who cares? Uh, their, their excise will go up. Um, to and they're estimating it'll bring in an extra $3.3 billion over the next four years, so uh, bigger taxes on that. I uh, wish they could see that their cigarette habit is costing them too much because I think it's about $23 a packet is what they're paying in taxes, so uh, not good. Another loser are the vapors. Um, the the government's going to be spending two hundred thirty million dollars. Sorry, um, sorry, you were just saying that there's the smokers. Uh, we can't laggy again, have we? There's a smokers increase of five percent. Is that? Yeah, it's pretty terrible. But anyway, there's a smoker increase five uh, percent in tobacco. Is that what we're saying? Correct. Yeah, the excise has been lifted by an additional five percent. So bringing in $3.3 billion over the next what, four years. How much is a burn hack of uh, cigarettes normally now? Do you know? Like an average? Mm, wouldn't have a clue. Wouldn't have a clue. Uh, I'm guessing around 60 bucks. I don't know if there's any smokers out there. Who For knows? But I wouldn't have a clue. Hack of cigarettes. Oh, my I'm guessing. God, that's unbelievable. <laughs> That's my guess, wow. but I guess a lot of people are vaping these days, aren't that they? That would have. That would have. Ah, yeah. Well, uh, well, it's interesting you talk about that because um, the government's looking at bringing in a ban on vaping, which is uh, which is a really good thing because the whole idea of vaping was that it was meant to stop you. Um, when, if you're a smoker, the idea is to wean you off um, smoking and mm. sort of via via vaping. It was meant to be a therapeutic Correct. product, but. Yeah, it's uh, been totally taken over by the um, bubblegum mafia that keep putting yeah. sweet, sweet smells into um, yep. nicotine. And the packaging is, and everything else. Yeah, it's pretty terrible, pretty terrible. Um, so, yes, yeah, so it'll be good that they do ban that. 
Um, I th- one of the other losers I've got here is uh, tax dodgers will be targeted for a crackdown oh, on businesses yeah. not uh-huh. paying GST. Okay. And um, also, I think um, I think isn't it a resources uh, and uh, uh, resources rent tax? They're trying. Uh, they're not trying. They are increasing in this budget, I believe. Yeah, I believe they're doing that. I know the gas industry, um, uh, they're going to be slugged uh, $2.4 billion over the forward estimate. So basically, from what I've read even prior to the announcement officially in the budget, um, it's something that they would have been taxed over the coming years anyway, instead of that $2.4 billion coming in in two or three years' time, it's just coming in this year. So technically there's no gain there. It's just being brought forward. So it's not really rubbish. a loss or, or a win. It's, no. it's more a win for the gas industry because yeah. it just means that they can offset it in the two or three years' time and they'll just go back to still making more money anyway. So Yeah, no, it's pretty terrible. I yeah. don't like that at all. Um, exactly. Do you have any other uh, losers there? I have uh, losers, um, but really it's a winner. But the scammers are the losers. We yeah, okay. are the winners. Uh, we'll face a national anti-scam centre with $10 million allocated for an SMS sender ID registry to stop phony text messages. Uh, which is, interesting. I think, really, really good. Because, I mean, I don't know about you, but gee whiz, I get... Um, I get spam text messages all day, every day, mm. um, and you just get sick of it. I mean, you know, there's only so much uh, filtering you can put on your phone. So, uh, exactly. Speaking um, of s- SMS scams, um, I came yes, across yes. one earlier today that oh, some people wow. have been uh, receiving, and I'm just going to add it to the stream, and I'll just explain it for those listening. Okay, no um, problem. So there have been some scams as a result of the cost of living. Uh, SMSs are going out as if it's coming from the MyGov website, which is... Um, oh, God. Yeah, and it says eligible individuals can receive a one-time payment of $750 to help with their living expenses. And then there's a, a web link that points to something that sort of looks like a MyGov website, but it's not. Uh, if you look at it carefully, it's completely... Um, fake but obviously that's a a phishing scam so that you put in your details your bank details things like that and um, and away the hackers will just get all your money and do whatever they normally do so just be aware of those scams and hopefully that money that you've just spoken about that's coming into the budget will hopefully reduce those can you just pop that up absolutely can you just pop that up again please uh, Wincy sure here we go it's back up um Going into incognito mode, just to have a look at what that does. Yeah. So you're going to go to that website. For those playing at home, it is https colon slash slash mygov.au hyphen service.icu. So it's if you look at it quickly, I've especially gone, if it's on your phone. So you don't have to. Ah, nice. Well done. What did you get? I'll show you. Oh, uh, more show and tell. Love show and tell. Yes. Can we expand that a little bit? Obviously, big red line there or red page. Oh, 
deceptive sight ahead. Attackers on that website may trick you into doing something dangerous like installing software or revealing your personal information, for example, passwords, phone numbers, or credit cards. Go back to safety. Go back to safety. I'm going back to safety. <laughs> I'm getting out of it completely. Yeah. Not um, a good idea to click on those links. That's for sure. No. No, definitely not. And it just shows you what you do get. But uh, nice pickup, Wentzy. And thanks for um, telling our listeners. No problem. Um, now, we've had a few losers, and I know yep. we need to wrap the show up, and it's been a bit of a moderately heavy uh, show tonight with the budget mm. and with Maria. Hopefully, Maria was a bit lighter for people as well. She's always fun to have on. So Yeah, she is. Um, what and, of information um, and always funny. Oh, she is. She's, she's incredible. Um, the winners, one of the winners, is low-income renters eligible for Commonwealth rent assistance will receive a 15% increase in payments. Nice. Do you have any other winners there? Uh, yes, the job seeker will um, go up, not by the full amount that everyone was asking. It's $40 a fortnight. It goes up and it will be a little bit more for those who are over 55 and especially if you're female, they get a bigger increase. Um, another winner are the spies, apparently. Oh, really? What's going yeah. on with the spies? So Australia's Foreign Intelligence Agency um, will get a big funding boost. It will receive $470 million over the next four years to modernise the agency. Um, it's a secretive business, so we'll never know what that money gets spent on. But my suspicion will be things like... Um, purchasing what they call zero-day vulnerabilities where they can inject um, spyware into targets, whether it be mobile phones or um, websites and things like that to people that they're targeting. So I'm guessing that some of that money will go into that because that's big business in the uh, hacking industry. Yeah, well, that's I, I I don't know, but I'm making the assumption maybe that that the money for the scammers, the ten million, may be included in there, or is that extra? I reckon that'll be separate. So this will be directly to the agency. So this is for them to be able to wow. do whatever activities they do that we don't yeah. know that. They're so doing. they're so they're definitely upping the stakes on spending money on cybersecurity, aren't they? Which is good. For oh, the nation. Yeah. That's a yeah, good thing. it is. Yeah, that is a good thing, and they obviously it looks like they actually understand what cyber hacking and issues actually are. Mm, so mm. that seems like we're sort of maybe in good hands there. <laughs> yeah. Um. One. Uh. The. Uh, I'm not sure if you mentioned it, but um, what you're talking about with the uh, Fortnite increase, also an extended eligibility uh, for the higher single job seeker payment, a new measure allowing single parents to claim the single parenting payment until the youngest child turns 14. Yes. I think it used to be eight. Is that right? Or, yeah, it got reduced by uh, to eight from 16 during the Gillard years. Oh, wow. Um, and I can't remember the reason why, why they decided that during that um 2009 i think it was or 10 i can't remember the exact year she but, never had kids so that could be one no, reason no yeah i, I, I don't think that I was the know. reason there was a no um, that's not fair that's not fair. a legitimate reason um but i can't remember what it was i did read about it just a couple of days ago but 
it's uh, now gone back to fourteen instead of sixteen, so it's not not a bad target. Sounds like a bit of homework for Wincy. Mm, I think so. A bit of homework for Wincy. Um, GPs, aged care workers, and veterans will receive additional funding for services and resources. So that's that's a that's a win as well. Um, Mm. I know this particular budget was definitely meant to be one that um, was skewed heavily um, on the uh, uh, in in sort of in favour of women, which is absolutely Mm. as it should be because the last budget by our friend, um, who are shall, shall re, uh, remain nameless on this program, um, uh, was all skewed towards men. So Not the last one. It will be the second last Sorry, one. Sorry, the one before. Mid, yeah. yeah, we That's had right. a mid-year one in October last year. Yeah, that was just a mini yeah, one, so wasn't the, it? A um, pre-election one. Yes, yeah, pretty much uh, what the hell's going on um, mm. budget and then the uh, proper one this time. So. Mm. Yeah, it'll be good when all this uh, stuff flows through. Have you got any uh, anything else there, Wendy? Yeah, um, a big one, a big winner um, is aged care. The federal government's going to commit $11.3 billion in paying uh, wage, wage increases for aged care workers, which will come into effect That's this July, really which is great. Yeah, um, it's really good news. That's a super hard job. Yeah, so, yeah, exactly. It, it it'll rise by as much as ten thousand dollars a year, so that'll be a huge boost for for those people. Um, yeah, so well overdue that one. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree, one hundred percent. Yeah, uh, that that's a brilliant one to um to get over the line. There's no doubt mm. about it. Yeah. Um, so some good measures they, there for cost sorry. of living, I believe. So. Um, Absolutely. Wasn't a terrible one, I don't think. On the on the Q and A, I don't know if you uh, have watched the latest uh, ABC uh, Q and A, but they no, had a poll. They had a poll on there, and the poll was: Would you pre- be prepared to pay more tax so that job seeker could be raised to well, let's say a livable rate, mm. um, a rate that you can actually feed yourself and house yourself, type thing. Um, yes, absolutely. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yes, we're absolutely positively on this uh, show for sure, um, yeah. and and it was fifty five percent, which I was slightly disappointed by. Mm. Yeah, I would have had a bit more than that. Yeah, you and me both. Nine percent were unsure. Thirty six percent said no. Right, I'm just That's like a big portion, isn't it? That's over yeah. a third. Yeah, no. I know, I know, and I'm just like, okay. Um, oh, that's something I hadn't told you. Uh, we were out. Um, we were out. Oh, a couple of things, actually. I know we've got to uh, uh, sign off because um, we've been going for a while. And uh, we'll definitely, definitely sign off. But just two very, very, very important things. One is my daughter got a license the other day. So yay for her. She's oh, pretty, awesome. pretty stoked about it. Yeah, she's pretty completely stoked about it. So that was awesome. That was absolutely You now have awesome. a designated driver for, for going out. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's that, that's true. But let, let her drive a bit more before that. Um, yes, and um, and the other thing was that the, the other night um, uh, we were we we helped out a, a homeless uh, guy. We uh, gave him some um, gave him some dinner and gave him a meal, and I gave him my jacket too. Oh, um, awesome! So Good yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. Well, good on Indy. Indy's the one. She's phenomenal. Mm. She's so um, egalitarian. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And altruistic. She's just nuts. Um, so, yeah. And so, good on her. Yes. And yeah. was that in Thank the you, city? Vicky. Thank you. Uh, yes, I think Vicky Carlton. says congrats to your daughter. Yes. Where was it? Sorry, Carlton? Y- yes, that's where the homeless uh, guy was, yeah. Oh, wow. And it was it was all my daughter's idea. Um, mm. Yeah. She's, well done, Indy. Yeah, she's phenomenal. She she does that quite a lot. I said to her she needs to earn a lot of money when she gets older because she's not going to have any because she gives it yeah. all away. She's unbelievable. But um, oh, that's great. She's got her heart in the right place. That's for sure. Yeah, it's lovely. She's got a nice quality about her, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, as do you, my friend. So good night to everyone. Uh, thanks for tuning in, and uh, we will see you next week on yes. the new blurt. The new blurt. Good night, all. Toodles. Bye. Hello, my name is Dean Park and I'm from the Kwandamooka peoples of Minjiriba, which is also known as North Stradbroke Island, just off the coast of Brisbane. It's great to be here with you today. I know there's been a lot of interest since uh, Prime Minister Anthony Albanese made a really, to some people, a surprising comment during the election night saying that the government was committed to a referendum on a voice to parliament. And I know that there are many people sitting out there in their lounge rooms on that night not really sure about what he meant. What we're talking about is very simple. It's just three things. Recognising Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples in the constitution, having an Indigenous voice to parliament, and the need for a referendum to make it all happen. And we want to be able to do this because this is a conversation that we have to have across the nation. This is a conversation that every single Australian needs to be part of. And so, We don't want to confuse the issue. We're not going to dive down in deep into details. This is not about the politics. This is not about making a particular point. It's simply about having a conversation with you, sharing a bit of information about Indigenous constitutional recognition, about a voice to parliament and about a referendum. And we're hoping that this is something that triggers a conversation more broadly in your families, in your workplaces, in your communities, and something that we really want the whole nation to get behind. What constitutional recognition means is acknowledging the 65,000 years of continuous connection that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples have to this country. It's about Australians embracing First Nations peoples. It's about us being recognised in our constitution, in our rule book. It is a unique status as the first peoples of the Australian nation. And it's about, I guess, having that, that sense of this is where we started as a people and as a nation. And that's really, really important in terms of the relationship that we have between first Australians and everyone else. Yeah, I can't tell you how much that means, you know, to to our community, to our nation, to myself, to my family, uh, to not have to uh, argue for that basic recognition to be recognised as First Nations, that we belong here and that we have a right to be heard. It took until 2017, the Uluru Statement from the Heart, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples to very firmly say what meaningful constitutional recognition looked like to us. It's recognising our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in the founding document of our nation. And how do we embrace First Nations peoples as the first peoples of this country, which is unique and different to anywhere else in the whole world? It's unfinished business and it's about time that uh, we recognise that the Aboriginal people were living on this continent, Torres Strait Islanders were inhabiting our homelands, and 
that recognition in the Constitution is going to go a long way to uh, healing past injustices in the in the modern history of Australia. I remember when I was um, one of facilitating a NAIDOC event for school, um, when I've asked, like, you know, mob at school if they want to do a dance or if they want to sing or do storytelling or something like that. Um, there, there's that shame factor, like, oh, I'm scared to 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 voice my culture and to talk about it. And then, but with this, I believe it will make make them actually feel valued and empowered empowered in their own country as First Nations Australians. Yeah. In 1967, the Australian public voted overwhelmingly to allow the Commonwealth Government to make laws about Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people before it hadn't had that power. Meaningful, real constitutional recognition had to come through a voice. It had to be about this voice to Parliament. There are too many issues in our communities which mean that we can't just have symbolic recognition. There needs to be practical change alongside that. Uh, But then also you know, what a lot of people talk about, the practical kind of things that come along with that and the power of that symbolism too is that, you know, not only are you recognising us finally, but you you actually have to listen to us and talk to us and we we have a say, we get to sit at the table where the decisions are made, which for too long have been made without us. And, you know, one of the things in my family that we always talk about uh, is all the uh, kind of things that have happened in the Barmer Forest and the Wirai Forest and all the um, environmental degradation, but what happened to our families there and, um, actually being able to have a seat at the table with people like, you know, Victoria and New South Wales Parks and Wildlife type people with the government on, you know, when they're making the leasing decisions that are impacting our families uh, when it comes to the history of economic development in those areas. I think the important thing in constitutional recognition is that it puts Indigenous people firmly in the founding document of modern Australia. And it's not putting us in the Constitution in a way that someone else has suggested we should be. It's putting us in the Constitution in the way Indigenous people have decided they want to be recognised in the Constitution. And that's important because it's Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people deciding for themselves what they want, asking the Australian people to support them in that, and then that being enshrined in the document that defines the way the nation works. In a way, our most important document in Australia. The Uluru Statement very clearly said that if we are going to do this, if we are going to formally and finally do constitutional recognition for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples, it's got to be through the voice. And just for having our voice in, you know, enshrined in the constitution, it doesn't only have like an impact now, but has impact on the generations to come. And is an important first step in building a shared future for our country. The new Blurred is brought to you by Wensi and Kickstar, usually on a Tuesday evening. You can catch us on all the socials, as they say, the Blurt YouTube channel. We have a Twitter Blurt handle, and there is a Blurt Star Facebook page as well. So, if you're interested in getting getting in touch, it's blurtstar at gmail.com, and we will get back to you as soon as we can if you've got any questions. Until next week, there'll be another feed coming at you. Has been a Get Off the Glass production. It's brought to you by Wincy and Kickstarter.